This episode of this podcast is making me thirsty is brought to you by Jimmy Sherman's Watch Repair on Columbus and 85th. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty, the number one destination for Seinfeld fans. This is episode 88. Today's guest is a legendary casting director and the executive VP of casting at NBC Universal. He was the casting director on Seinfeld for the entire nine-year run of the series, Mark Hirschfeld. Thank you for listening. If you dig it, please pass it on. Follow us on Twitter at ThisThirsty. Follow us on Instagram at ThisThirsty. Email us. This podcast is making me thirsty at gmail.com. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. This podcast is making me thirsty. Episode 88, Mark Hirschfeld. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty, the number one destination for Seinfeld fans. This episode 88, today's guest is a legendary casting director. He's the executive VP of casting at NBC Universal. He was the casting director for hundreds of TV shows and films spanning five decades. His credits include ALF, The Facts of Life, Married with Children, That 70s Show. And of course, he was the casting director on Seinfeld for the entire nine-year run of the series, responsible for casting all of your favorite Seinfeld cast and guest stars. Please welcome Mark Hirschfeld. Mark, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, Mark, take us back. 1989, uh, Seinfeld launches. Obviously, we talked about some of your credits doing ALF, 227, et cetera. But how did the role, um, how, did the, how did the job opportunity come about? I mean, was it uh, Castle Rock? Was it a relationship with Larry? Tell us a little bit of how the whole Seinfeld thing came about. So I had started as a casting director at Norman Lear's company, which was Embassy Television. And the... Um, Heads of Embassy, which was Alan Horn, who's now the president of Disney, and Glenn Padnick, who was the president of television at the time, and uh, Marty Schaefer, and Rob Reiner, all left Embassy and started their own company, Castle Rock. So I've been doing Married with Children, and The Jeffersons, and 227, and The Facts of Life, and One Day at a Time, and all these shows over there. And I was actually on staff at Embassy, and um, a woman who's another casting director named Meg Lieberman said, why don't you guys, why don't we partner up and we'll leave Embassy? So we did, and um, Embassy said, well, we still want you to cast our shows, and then Glenn Padnick and Rob and everyone left, uh, left the um, production company to start their own business, and so we started casting projects for them. And one of the producers that we were working with on um, a couple pilots was a guy named Gary Gilbert, who um, was casting a project. And of course, I can't remember the name of it at the moment, but we actually had Jerry Seinfeld in to meet on the project for the lead. And the meeting was with us and Gary and Rob Reiner and Glenn Padnick. And ultimately it did not, um, and, and Jerry's manager was there, George Pirro and Howard West. And, you know, it was a great meeting and um, 
but it didn't end up moving forward for him in that. But I think as a result of that, um, Jerry's managers started kicking around the idea of a series for Jerry. And um, uh, Jerry and Larry came up with an idea for the show and brought it to Castle Rock and ended up um, getting a green light for a pilot, not through NBC primetime, but through uh, their late night department because primetime wasn't that excited about him. And the guy who was the head of late night at the time um, was a big fan of Jerry's and used some money out of his late night department to produce the pilot of the show. So since Jerry and Larry were not um, experienced showrunners, uh, Castle Rock brought Gary Gilbert in to executive produce the show because he was experienced. Mm-hmm. So we were brought in through Castle Rock and our relationship with Gary to cast the series. Now, in the long run, you know, Gary and Larry did not see eye to eye. Larry and Jerry really wanted to sort of execute the show that they wanted to do. So um, I believe it was after the pilot or maybe it was the first four episodes. I think it was the pilot. Um, Gary Gilbert ended up exiting. And, you know, Larry David ended up running the show with uh, Jerry. But that's how it started. Yep. And it's it's interesting. You touched on something there that they wanted to run the show. You know, they wanted to run. We've talked to so many um, guest stars and, and different people who have mentioned that, you know, their vision and they stuck to it. And, um, you know, that goes with even even the even the casting. I mean, everyone we've talked almost everyone we've talked to um, has mentioned how unusual the the casting process was for them on Seinfeld compared to other shows. Uh, they all brought it up every single one of them. Whenever we asked them, like, yeah, it was really strange. I got I, I got the job basically the same day. I auditioned, and then you know we were shoot. Like it just seemed like they were. It, it was different, and and that's the that's the vibe we get about Seinfeld, and that's how you make you know legendary shows by being different. Maybe you could touch on 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 you know who's this? Was that a, a conscious decision the way you guys auditioned and and kind of hired people right on the spot or um, was that like, uh, what was the decision behind that? Was it just the way you guys did it? Was it, I'm just curious. Well, normally at the, in the early days of the show, things are a little more last minute. You know, we're, we're shooting the show. We're, we're cable reading the show on a Wednesday. And then we um, rehearse Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, weekend off, and then shoot Monday. A lot of the exteriors were shot Monday and then Tuesday in front of the studio audience. So that was the schedule. Now, um, and then they would start the next show on the next Wednesday. They would take a hiatus every three, four weeks, but it was pretty intense. And um, if the script was not ready on Wednesday, then we waited till Thursday or Friday. And uh, we would work Friday, Saturday, and then Monday, Tuesday. Um, So it was really about the script's not being ready. And it was like that for the entire nine seasons. I mean, the scripts were not um, a lot of, you know, they were fine tuning them right. to the very last moment. And, um, and so we would get a script literally if we were lucky, then, you know, two days before, and then we could wow. start pre-reading actors, auditioning actors, and then bringing our selects to producers. But many times you know, we didn't get the script till a Friday night. We had to be calling agents and actors at home on Friday nights 
to set up auditions for Saturday morning. And then those actors would come in on Saturday morning and they'd all be sitting outside the casting office. <laughs> We'd have them in to read for Larry and Jerry. We'd say, okay, have a seat outside. And then I would come out and say, um, John O'Hurley, please stay. Everyone else, thank you very much. John, you have to go right to set. And it happened more than once. And it's funny because I don't know if you know, there's a very well-known actor named Richard Schiff who um, was on the West Wing and he's a terrific actor. And I can't tell you how many times he came in to read and he never booked. And he would say, I was on the golf course. I would get a call. I did for run in and you never booked me, Hirschfeld. And, you know, it was just that kind of a thing. Right. But people would come in at the last minute. It was, uh, it was really stressful. In fact, so it was myself and I had a casting associate, Brian Myers, working on the show with me. And we would be pre-reading actors. That's basically reading actors for the first time to see if they would make the cut. Um, he'd be reading actors in one room. I'd be reading actors in another. Anyone I liked that have sit down, wait in the lobby. He, if he saw somebody he liked, he'd bring them into me. I'd like them either send them home or put them in the lobby. And then we'd have, you know, a half hour later, we'd have a, a casting session with Larry and Jerry. I mean, it was that stressful. Oh, wow. Yeah. So and it didn't get better over the nine years. I mean, it was always sort of a last minute thing, but you kind of, you, you just felt like a fireman waiting for the alarm bell to go off and to respond to the fire. It was fun. It was exciting. Well, Mark, I mean, we, we talked about it a lot on our show. I think the unique thing about Seinfeld is um, how unselfish the big four were and they sorry, like, again? how unselfish the big four were, right? Yeah. The actual stars of the show to let these guest stars um really shine and like that's just a testament to you. you i mean how you found these people is incredible so if we just go back let's start with just season one I, we don't want to touch too much on it but you know and matt goldman one of the original writers said that that's where the show was just developing and pretty much the four main characters but the original morty can we touch on that what um what did you like at the time and what didn't you like that you you meant to replace him well, I, I think, you know, once again, it was sort of a last minute thing. He was, um, he did, it was John, John Randolph, right? Mm -hmm. No, Randolph was uh, Frank. I'm sorry, Frank, Frank, sorry. Um, it was just, you know, the shit, you know, the show had some growing pains. When it first started, you know, it was the whole conceit of the show was Jerry did stand up at the top of the show. Then the, episode had to do something with that bit he did at the beginning of the show and then at the end of the show he kind of wrapped up with another piece of stand-up but you know during the maturation process of the show we realized we didn't really need that stand-up to kind of set the um the plot of the show and um the show matured into something else so it was the same thing with some of the actors um you know, we really only hand, um, replaced a handful of actors on the show during the nine seasons, which is amazing. Um, and sometimes you, you know, have an actor and they do a great job, but there's just something missing. And uh, you go back to the drawing board after the fact and figure out, you know, yeah. what, you know, who else might be available. Yeah, I mean, Jerry Stiller is a perfect example of that. It was very rare that we flew an actor in from New York. 
I mean, you have to remember back in the day, no internet. If you wanted to audition an actor on tape, they had to go into a studio. They taped it, usually on three-quarter inch. They had to FedEx the tape out. You know, it took days. I mean, that's how, I mean, it's, it's uh, miraculous that Jason Alexander, that's how we got the job originally, is we had him tape in New York and flew the tape out. And then, I mean, it was really kind of unheard of. So we rarely, we rarely flew in actors for the show, not to mention budgetarily. It was, you know, this is originally a very, you know, a low budget show. It was a, it was a little show, you know, you know, uh, NBC only ordered four episodes. And um, so they were sort of risk averse and they were kind of keeping the budget down. Once it became more successful, then they would allow us to bring actors in from New York occasionally. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Mark, for our, for our listeners and viewers, um, tell us sort of how, you know, your role uh, intertwined sort of with, with Jerry and Larry and the writers. I guess, you know, what I'm asking is, you know, you said how stressful it was you get a script and you have to sort of, you know, already have people ready, right? How much like input are they giving you, Larry and Jerry or the writer of the episode on like what they're looking for? I mean, it's hard to tell off a page, I'm assuming, like who you're going to get, right? I mean, guys like Bookman, I didn't know you were going to, you didn't know you were going to get, you know, Philip Baker Hall to, 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 to nail that role, right? Like, how are you quickly assessing okay this is what they're looking for i know these type of people that can do it and i'm, I'm you know I'm making my calls but like how much input are they giving you like what does it look like to you on this on the page of a script to know like exactly what they're looking for or do you not know exactly what they're looking very for? little yeah. yeah very little um with the soup nazi i didn't you know i'm like i said we got these scripts at the last minute i didn't really know that there was an actual guy it was based on so I, you know, read the script and I kind of knew the rhythms of the show and tonally what they were going for. And um, I guess it was really instinct. And we would bring in a half a dozen actors to audition for a role. And if we we're lucky, we nailed it the first time. Sometimes you would have to go back to the drawing board and really in the room, Jerry and Larry would say, well, that didn't quite work. We're kind of looking for a little more of this or someone who's a little older or or whatever. So, I mean, there was one time that um, I think Larry Charles literally drew me a picture of what he kind of wanted in the character. And it was actually, I believe it was, no, I apologize. There was one episode we did not produce called The Gun. I don't know if this has ever come up. Oh, yeah. Where, yeah. where Kramer buys a gun from uh, you know, on the illegal market from a character named Mo Corn. And uh, <laughs> I believe it was Larry Charles wrote the script and we ended up not doing the script. They didn't want to do it. Um, I think it was after the table read, they said, no, we're not going to do this. And we had to push. Um, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure Larry actually drew me a picture of what he envisioned Mo Corn to look like. And I was like, you know, I appreciated it. But at the time, I was like, you know, I don't, I don't build them, you know. I have to really go out and sort of find what I feel is sort of the essence of the character. And, and you know, coincidentally, in the case of Larry Thomas, I mean, he had an uncanny, you know, resemblance to the real guy, but that was not anticipated. Yeah. You know? You, met, you mentioned the gun. That was season two, and they, 
talk about a fast script turnaround. They they gave you the phone message. Luckily, there wasn't many guest stars in that other than George's girlfriend, what he was yelling at. But we actually ranked that as our top top episode, believe it or not. Really? But um, so speaking of like, and I'm just I'm going season through season here. So yeah. Tracy Colas, who is Marlene, right? You you cast her again later, and that was kind of a, a theme that happened, right? Suzanne Snyder, Christine Dumford, Mark Christopher Lawrence, like tell us a little bit about that because they each played really different characters. Like, was that was that? I mean, just you needed someone really quick, or did you really? Take you know, sometimes they just loved the actor, and they sort of knew from a previous episode what they could do, mm-hmm. what they could deliver. So many times they would write them into a subsequent script in the same character. Sometimes they would want to bring them back um, as a different character. But they knew, like, they had a very sort of strong point of view. And that's what they kind of wanted in the scene. So if it meant bringing back an actor to do a different role, uh, that was great. Another actor that was, the role of Newman was really only anticipated to be a one-episode role. I think in the first, I'm pretty sure in the first script, first draft of that first script, he was going to jump off a building and he yes. was, and, and he was going to do it. And then he was so funny, they decided to change it and they kept bringing him back. Yeah, it's interesting. They did it first. It was just a voice of him. Uh, of New right, York. exactly. Yeah, before you even had, the, before you even had yeah. the actor. You um, know, you brought up Philip Baker Hall, if I can tell you a funny story. So. Yes. That was also kind of a last minute thing. And, um, um, you know, and I read the script. I had actually seen Philip in a dramatic role. He was in a play downtown LA called The Petrified Forest. And he played, um, um, he played um, the role of, um, of um, uh, oh, for God's sakes, Humphrey Bogart from the movie okay. in that shot in the play. And there was something, and it wasn't a comedy at all, but I felt there was some sort of connected tissue between the character he played in that play and what they were kind of looking for in Bookman. And I had him in and uh, he just nailed it. And he was not a, not a comedic actor. Yeah. I mean, he, he now he's one of, Everybody we ask, it always comes back to Bookman as one of the best guest stars ever. Um, you know, and that's that's season three. Season three also we get for the first time Jack Klompus. Um, and I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker for for those type of people. The, the Jack Klompuses, both sets of parents. Uh, you know, Uncle Leo. All, all of that. That world is, is really uh, really amazing. And these actors, I'm a you know, as different generation. Um, you know, I would think. I don't know if that's like a Larry thing. Like, hey, we need to, we need this. You know, um, you know, what's his name? Um, uh, you know, we need these, we need these people that I grew up on. Or was it just like you, you cast them the same way you cast everyone else? As, or, it, or was they a, it was a little of both. Um, you know, at the beginning of the season, I would actually have a grid of actors that I felt were good for the show. They may or may not be available, but they just felt like very New York. Like they, they would exist in that world. And so I would have lists of men and women that I felt that they would respond to tonally and as far as type-wise. When a, when a, um, 
episode came up, I would go, God, you know, John O'Hurley would be really good for that, for that role or, um, you know, that, that kind of thing. I believe Sandy was recommended for Jack um, by one of the producers and I can't remember one. And I, I can't remember if he auditioned or not. He might not have. Um, most of the actors who uh, booked the show had auditioned. I mean, literally came in. And came, some came in, you know, many times yeah, before they booked. How does that, we've heard that from several of the guest stars about coming in many times. Is that, um, you know, I, I'm going to assume it's, it's, you didn't see something in them for the role, but you liked them. So let's, let's bring them back until you find a match. And and some, sometimes it sounds like it's a loyalty, whether it's with you or with Larry, but um, you know, the theme that, that I, that, that I get is, is loyalty a lot with, with the casting. Um, you know, a lot of times it's, Oh, you know, Larry told me I, five years ago, he was going to do something for me or, or someone, you know, had, had known you. Is that a lot of your, your position is, is building relationships and that sort of uh, trust and, and loyalty with, with some of these actors? Well, you have to remember, I was casting a lot of different shows at the time. And I can't remember. I mean, I was doing the Larry Sanders show. I was doing um, Third Rock from the Sun. Parker Lewis, uh, Marty Five. Yeah, they all, I mean, all at the same time. The Nanny. So there were a lot of actors that were flowing through our office. And if someone wasn't right for The Nanny or Larry Sanders, I was like, oh, they might be right for Seinfeld or vice versa. So there was just a huge volume of actors kind of coming through our office so as sort of a resource. So the other thing is when we had him come in to read for Larry and Jerry, it was usually Larry, Jerry, and George Shapiro was almost always there as well. And you knew when they came in the room and read, even if they didn't book the role, that they were that, that they loved them because they laughed. And when, and when Larry and Jerry were laughing, you made a mental note, okay, they didn't book this one, but let's remember them for the next one. But even when I would pitch them for another role, they'd go, okay, well, let's have them in again. But we, they wanted to hear the words, right. you know? So I would have to convince some of the actors to come in multiple times, especially a lot of the girlfriends, because we churned through so many women on that show. Yeah. Um, I, I was going to... Convincing Deborah Messing to come in for the third time or whatever to read, it was hard. I was going to ask you about the girlfriends, how involved you were there versus like the Jack Klompuses or Patrick Cronin's, like Sid Farkas. Like, you know, I don't want to say they were just pretty faces, but um, they were, right? I mean, they're beautiful women and models probably, but um, I'm just curious how involved you were in that versus like some, I mean, you nailed Sid Farkas, you met Richard Fancy Littman were like, and again, these were multiple, multiple scenes, but um, I'm just curious your involvement versus like the girlfriends was Meg Lieberman more, more involved with that versus, or was that kind well, of, no, I mean, Meg and I, you know, Meg was doing her own shows. You know, my, I was the point person on Seinfeld with Ryan. So we're, you know, Meg would always collaborate if we we're sort of stuck. She'd say, hey, I just saw an actor who read for me on The Days and Nights of Molly Dot or whatever it was. You should really think about her for Seinfeld and then I'd meet her. But no, I, um, you know, it was really just a lot of volume. And, you know, I would keep track with the agents because we were going through a lot of actresses. 
and a lot of, you know, very attractive comedic actresses, which is sort of a finite talent pool. So every pilot season, when actors would come out from New York or Chicago or whatever, um, I would keep track with the, uh, the agents, say, who do you have in town now that I haven't seen for Seinfeld? So um, I think that's how Lisa Edelstein booked the job. And, you know, a, uh, you know, a lot of those a lot of those women, they had literally just gotten a, a, um, a Lauren Graham. I think he had just gotten off the plane and we had her in to read and she booked, she booked that. She actually might've done a third rock from the sun first, but then I knew her from that. And then I put her in the Seinfeld. Yeah. You mentioned, yeah. Lauren Graham. That's a, you know, she went out to bigger and better things. I'm just curious. A lot of them like Brian Cranston went out to bigger yeah. and better things. But he, Brian was like a journeyman actor, you know, he wasn't a very well, you know, as before he did Malcolm in the Middle, um, he was, uh, you know, an actor for hire. He would come in um, and read, um, you know, it's funny because, you know, Seinfeld's on all the time and I just happened to catch it at 11 o'clock the other night yeah. and I can't remember the name of the episode, but I was looking at it and one of the med students in it, I'm like, oh my God, that's Daniel Day Kim who had like one role is like a med student. I think it was the episode with Mickey, you know, when they're, they're yeah, the burning. Of, exactly. Uh, the exactly. Burning. And he, I was like, I, I had totally forgotten that he was in it and did one line. <laughs> Same thing. Well, French Stewart yeah. um, was in one he had like one line. It's like, was he a movie ticket taker? I think. Yeah. 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 I, I saw him in a play. He did the one line on there. And then we were casting third rock from the sun. I said to the producers, I want you to see this guy. He's not at all what you're looking for, but he's really funny. And he came in and read for that and got, you know, a series regular role. Yeah. Also in the burning is Brian Posehn and, you know, Pat right. Oswald was in an episode Pat and Dom Herrera. A lot of these stand up comics. I, I don't know if that has like, Jerry just kind of pulling them in or if that's still they're auditioning from their agents, kind of getting them involved. But they I were auditioning. I mean, yeah. I was, um, I was very much in the alternative comedy scene. And I went to uh, comedy clubs every night. And so that's how I'd see Patton and Sarah Silverman. And, you know, uh, Sarah Silverman was on Larry Sanders show. So there was some connectivity there. Um, and obviously Jerry knew some of them from the clubs, but nine times out of 10, they came in and auditioned. Um, I can't tell you how many times Jack Black came in and auditioned. Oh, interesting. Um, and he never booked, never booked a role. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. So it's funny, you mentioned that, you mentioned like Richard Schiff, Jack Black. I'm just curious, um, was there someone you had like the role was pegged and then it could have been one of those guys and then someone came out of the blue that you that really shocked you? Do you, do you remember any, any of those? Well, it was just all about the reading, you know? I mean, I don't think that I even brought Jack Black to producers. He came in pre-read for me and, you know, he's just so funny. But I was just like, it just didn't work. Interesting. Mark, you, you touched on this on, on the audition. I'm just curious, one of, obviously one of our favorite season four where they recreate the pilot. How true was that? You like, you know, Jerry and George sitting there during casting. Is, was that how it was kind of with Larry, Jerry and you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny because... You know, they were, you know, the writers were together for weeks before we actually started the season and before I saw them. And um, 
it was the first time I would come in the first part of the season, you know, the, the first day of the first season of casting, I would walk into the office and Larry and Jerry, they had, they had desks. They were like butted up against each other in the same office. They both had their feet up in the desk and I'd walk in the office and go, all right, it's real. Here's Hirschfeld. We meant, you know, the casting was going to start and, uh, and you know, the season was about to begin. So um, yeah, it was, it was, it was really like that. I would imagine, Mark, that, you know, as the show became more popular, you know, the later seasons, I'm guessing it was a little bit easier to cast. Um, But I'm also curious, you know, when they have episodes with already, you know, famous people like uh, like a John Voight or, uh, you know, Marissa Tomei, Bette Midler, these types. um, I'm assuming they wrote this and then we had to just guarantee we can get them. Or was it like, Hey, how does that stuff work? Sometimes, um, I'm curious. you know, a lot of times, for example, the John Voight one, we didn't know he was going to do it. I mean, they had written this episode about John Voight's car and we had no idea. It was ridiculous. We had no idea if he would agree to do it or not. You're absolutely right. Later in the season, when the show became more popular, it was a lot easier to get those guest stars like Bette Midler or whatever. Um, But a lot of times it was written specifically for someone and we would reach out to try to get them. And like in the case of Marissa Tomei, we were lucky that she wanted, she was game and wanted to do it and was available for the week, you know, otherwise they might have to rewrite it and place in another another actor. I mean, we did that on the Larry Sanders show all the time. They would write an episode specifically for an actor they wanted to be on the talk show, but if they weren't available or didn't want to do it, then they had to rewrite the whole thing for another actor. It's the same thing on Seinfeld. Mark, yeah. who was the, I mean, it's a laundry list here, right? Putty, Jimmy, you name it. But like, if you had one, like what? What was the one you, you think you just nailed, and like it, it brought the show to a a new level? Well, I I love Putty because he was just such a great counterpoint for Julia, and uh, someone just fantastic for her to play off of because he was sort of this big dumb galoot, and um, and it was she, you know, it was just that was a great. It was just a great fit. I'm trying to think of another one that uh, I mean, there are just so many. Um, I like the guy. I like that, the guy that, uh, yeah. that kissed Julia underneath the stands during the Puerto Rican. Day oh yeah, he was brilliant, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. Really good looking, sharp. Yeah, yeah. God, how did they get him? <laughs> That's so funny because um, you know I would read with all the actors in the room for Jerry and Larry. Yeah, and uh, they always laughed at my reading of Jason or Jerry or whatever. And uh, even if the actor wasn't getting the laughs, I was getting the laughs, which was very nice. So later in the season, like, Hirschfeld, we really want you to do a a role. I was like, oh, I don't know. And, uh, you know, so the last season, they said, we want you to do this role. And, we, you know, we uh, I can't remember what the, the episode was. But I wasn't available because I was um, going to the um, Aspen Comedy Festival. I was on the board, and I couldn't get out of it. And um, and so I had to beg out. And then another, um, ep- the next one, the episode after that came up, the Puerto Rican Day Parade. 
And my wife is like, you would better do that part. <laughs> so I ended up doing it. And actually, the kiss under the stands was completely, you know, um, not improvised at the last minute, but the writers came up with it at the last minute. I think um, the director said, wouldn't it be funny if they had this tussle and then a sort of making out? So they just sort of put it in at the last minute. Incredible. Is that it? was fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so many people that we just, that just pop off the screen, even if they, you feel like they were in more episodes. I mean, you guys like Jean-Paul, Jean-Paul and, and Sid, the, the, uh, you know, the guy that, that, that the cars in, uh, in the alternate side, um, you know, I, I really love, um, you know, Warren Frost and, and, um, yeah. the Rosses. Yeah. They um, were great. They were great. Brace the brisky. Yes. They were fantastic. Yeah. Just so funny. You know, it's a funny one. Lawrence Tierney. Yes. Julia's uh, dad. Yep, the Jack, one of our favorites. He was tough. I mean, he is a tough cookie. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure, you know, he did not audition. I had suggested him because of just the, the weight and intensity that he has as an actor. So I would come in and I'd do a little film festival for Jerry and Larry. I'd throw in videotapes saying, I, you know, this is who I think is right for the role. And they'd say, great. He won't read, though. Let's do it. And um, it was a difficult week on set with him because he does not suffer fools. And it was just, you know, he's that guy. And uh, um, but, you know, the results was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's perfect casting. It's yeah. perfect casting. You feel them scared of him just him <laughs> exactly. sitting there. He doesn't even have to do anything. <laughs> exactly. Sitting exactly. there. Exactly. Yeah, I think I think season three, it just you managed it. Klopis, uh Bookman, and obviously the year before with Tierney, it just set set the set the tone. Um, I was gonna say, what kind of you mentioned this earlier, but what kind of direction did Larry and Jerry give you like pre-season if you will right i mean think about season three like babu like he would have an extended stay or mr Lippman. like did you know these guys are going to be recurring characters no. you went no. in like it's a one-time thing it was a one-time thing uh if they loved them they would write for them you know okay. um they uh <clears throat> you know and by the way there was no sort of sitting down with larry and jerry at the beginning saying this is sort of our strategy for the season or these, the more, more important characters, literally I would get the script and that fire alarm bell would go off. And then we just started casting. It was very rare. They would say, this is the kind of actor we want in advance. They wanted sort of us to present some options to them and then them to be sort of inspired by them. And then if they love someone, they would not only bring them back, they would write toward them, whether it's mm -hmm. Babu or, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, a uh, perfect example is um, Heidi Swedberg, who played Susan, was, you know, a network executive in that the pilot episode. Right. Yeah. Yep. No one anticipated that she would continue to recur on the show and, and you know, get engaged to. Um, yeah, that's, that's I had. That was one of our questions. I'm curious. I know there's a lot of post the show. There's a lot of controversy on that. Like they didn't like her. Like so, they kind of killed her off. Any re any reg any regrets on on her as, as Susan or is I that just something just didn't work. I yeah. mean, I don't think that um, 
Jason connected with her um, in a comedic level. But for me personally, um, I like the fact that there was an antagonistic relationship. I didn't want him to be in a happy relationship. Right. I mean, right anyone right. really want to see that? An actor who is a good fit. And so maybe ultimately they decided, you know, we've kind of played out that story, you know, and so let's figure out how to end it with the envelopes, but um, which was a great kind of fun surprise. Um, yeah. But to me, I don't have any regrets because I thought she was a good fit with them. Did you, I mean, mm -hmm. I know that that became public, but did you get that during the seasons? I mean, these are four big stars. Did Kramer ever come up to you? I'm making this up. Did Kramer ever come up to you and say like, oh, you know, we get someone else for Mickey. I'm not that Mickey was perfect, but like, were there any, um, did they have any say in who they wanted to partner with at any level? Honestly, no. I mean, I'm trying to think if there was any, I mean, by the way, Jason never came up to me and said, you know what? Heidi and I are connecting, you know, I mean, he might've had though at a kind of a sidebar conversation with Jerry and Larry uh, later on the season, or I don't see where this character's, you know, where this relationship is going, or I don't want it to be a successful relationship. Right. Um, but never to me. I, I can't imagine. I, I don't remember one time that Julia came up to me and said, you know what, the guy you cast as my boyfriend, Jake Jarmel, is a lot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, I, I, right. She never did that. Right. You know, what, what, what I love about hearing these stories from, from yourself and other guests we've had on is just the, the like I said, it always goes back to this, this sort of loyalty. And, um, you know, <clears throat> when, when we had, um, you know, Catherine Cates on, for example, you know, the, she was, the, she was the Bobka lady. Right? right. And then years later, you bring her back to be the counter person in the same bakery to do the ride. Like that could have been anybody. You could have just pulled someone up and said, you know, hand a ride to this old lady or whatever. Right. right? <clears throat> but you know, it was like, she was the person behind the counter. Let's bring her back. Right. Yeah. And it just, uh, those, it's a small detail, but it's also more of a, I just feel like it's more of a, it shows kind of the loyalty to the, to the people that, that, you know, are with you guys and that, that you like, like you said, if you like someone, um, you know, I don't know if there's really a question. Sometimes we would get a script and we'd take it, be in a bakery or something. And we would say to the producers, you want to bring back Catherine Cates? Right. Um, and they would say, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Or other times, um, um, they would come to me and say, Hey, we wrote this thing. We're going to bring back this actor to do the part. Right. You know, you know what I always found fascinating too. And I don't know is, is the, the Larry David cameos when Larry David decides to, you know, be the, be the newsstand guy or be on the boat in the, in the ocean for green yeah. peas whenever. He, so <laughs> I'm curious, like, is that, does that come about out of necessity? Like, Oh no, we need someone. He's like, I'll oh, do it. Or does he say, I really want to just be this person on that raft with Larry Charles in the war. Like I'm always well, curious like, where times, he made this decision. I, I think that, you know, a lot of times, I mean, a lot of the, the writers ended up doing little, yeah. Alfred Hitchcock cameos in some way or another um, in a scene or in a restaurant or a bar or whatever, they throw them a line. Um, sometimes it was something that was planned in advance. Um, I mean, George Steinbrenner, we were, I believe we started auditioning actors, you know, voiceover actors 
to do the voice of George Steinbrenner. Mm-hmm. And then we sent some to Larry and said, oh, I'll just do it myself. <laughs> so, you know, I, sometimes I think they enjoyed it. You know, yeah. I'll be the guy in the cape. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, we talked about the V pilot uh, in season four. I was always curious. Um, it's mentioned that, oh, yeah, the butler is he's John Ritter's cousin. A, was that true? Wait, <laughs> I, Wait who, you're going to have to refresh my memory. Who's the butler? In the, the, I don't know who the butler was. I, I know I know. you mean, in, you know, it, when they did the, the, the show pilot. within the show, yeah. yeah. Right. In the show, Jerry references, oh, yeah, it's John Ritter's cousin. I, like, for some reason, I never knew if that was true or not. No, but, um, no. no. okay. But no. what I'm curious about is, the the casting for that was incredible. I know you had like Mariska Hargitay come in to do Elaine, and obviously um, uh, Jeremy Piven. Right, like that must have been a lot of fun, right? Just to like cast for the cast, and I'm assuming some of those guys tried out for the original roles. Um, well, it's funny because Jeremy Piven was a series regular in the Larry Sanders show at the time, right? And so I went up to him and said, "Hey, would you be interested in playing George in the pilot?" and he ended up having a week off from Larry Sanders, so he was able to do it. But yeah, it was great fun. You know, what was also great fun was um, uh, when we cast what was it called? Now the anti um, Jerry and Kramer and oh, Bizarro, the Bizarro episode. That's one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, where we had Larry Hankin and Kramer, and that was well, he was in the pilot. But yeah, all right, was, right, right. Yeah. I'm sorry, not in that, but uh, it was a great. That was a great, uh, it was one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, I mean, there's so many. You know, in your career, we've gone over as legendary, so many different shows, and you kind of touched on the uh, this already, but, um, you know, what What do you think made, I mean, Larry Sanders, I mean, Gary Shanley's a genius, and you worked on so many shows, but what made Seinfeld, you know, different uh, as far as from your position goes um, compared to the, the hundreds of other shows you've worked on? You know, what, what was the kind of the, the difference honestly i think it was a happy accident you know it was under the radar it came out of the late night department we did this little pilot and like we'll do four episodes no one was really paying attention to it and when i was working on the show it made me laugh like crazy i was like okay great me and you know how many other uh new york jews are gonna enjoy the show you know, we really felt it was going to, we felt it was going to be creatively successful, but really have a, not a broad appeal. I don't think anyone expected it to, I, I know no one expected it to blow up the way it did, you know? Yeah. yeah I mean, it's funny you mentioned that, like, and then the shift from Wednesday to Thursday, right? I well, mean, that was it. Putting it on. Like, listen, the visa, right? Cheryl. A great casting by her and Ping. Love those guys. Like, actually, yeah, t- <laughs> actually, let me ask you about those two, Cheryl and Ping. Like, um, and again, that show only did 11 million in in total viewers, and then you see something like The Frogger years later doing 30 million. It's, just, right. it's unbelievable. But it was I mean, uh, it time for people to discover the show. Yeah, it's time for the show to sort of figure out what the show was. And have, I mean, how many scenes were in each episode? Later on, it was, you know, do, you know, at the, at the beginning, it was a, more of a traditional sitcom with your living room and f- maybe a few sets. We had so many remote sets, so many exteriors, 
so many, you know, different characters coming and going, so many plot lines inter intertwining at the end. That's what made the show ultimately successful. And then they would find a way for all the, you know, the sort of rando plots to sort of come together and clash at the end, which is really what Larry has done um, in the maturation process of, um, of um, his show on HBO. Yeah, I mean, exactly. You know? Exactly. Mark, this has um, been, I mean, I'm loving these stories. What is there one, is there one story you can, you maybe can remember that sort of, uh, you know, kind of, you kind of think about when you think about your time at, at, uh, at Seinfeld, as far as, um, you know, maybe you were surprised by the role the person did more with it than you thought, or, or you, you know, you wanted someone and they got away or just, you know, some, some memory that you kind of have taken from the show that you, that you haven't shared with us yet that you kind of just, you know, well, I think during the casting, the pilot, so, um, you know, the pilot, um, there was no um, Elaine in it. Right. We had Lee Garlington, who played the waitress, who is really going to be sort of the female point of view in the show, just as she's coming up and pouring the coffee. And that didn't really work. And NBC's uh, wisdom, when they picked up the show, they said, we really need a woman in the cast. So they kind of went back and figured out the character of Elaine. And we saw during that casting process, every actress, every funny character actress in, um, in Hollywood. And I, I, it was like a laundry list. That everyone was considered and seen, and we couldn't find it. At the same time, uh, Julia was on a, uh, a series called Day by Day. I can't remember what network it was for, but I had been in touch with her manager and the show was not doing great. And I was in touch with her manager. I said, um, I really want her to come in for Elaine. I said, we can't. She's in, you know, this is this show is alive. If she were to come in for, I said, just for a meeting. She said, even for a meeting, if she came in, it would, um, um, you know, show that she was not loyal to her current series. <clears throat> The day, I can't remember, it was in June or something. I think we are casting during the summer, the pilot. Um, and the day the show, her show was canceled, I picked up the phone and saw the managers, please, she's got to come in tomorrow for a meeting. Just have her come in for a meeting. So um, I had her come in. We were at Renmar Studios at the time, this crappy little studio on like Kawanga or something. Um, and she came in just for a meeting with Larry and Jerry and just based, the chemistry was so fantastic. She didn't have to read anything. She came out of the room and Jerry, Larry said, she's the one. So, I mean, that was, that was very exciting. And the other thing, which is sort of a great story is, so when we were casting the pilot, um, you know, we sort of narrowed down, um, uh, George and Kramer to, to two actors for each role. It was, um, it was um, Jason Alexander, who he flew in from New York, uh, who was really uh, Larry's favorite. And, um, and it was um, Larry uh, Miller, who is a com wonderful comedian mm -hmm. and a very good friend of Jerry's. Mm -hmm. And 
Jerry, I, Jerry was leaning toward Larry. Well, first of all, he was great. It was very sort of dry um, quality to the read. But what Jerry liked about it is he already had a shorthand with Larry Miller. So the relationship was already there. He didn't have to work hard at creating the relationship with, um, with Jason. Right. And so when we had them both into test, it, we made, it, because Jason was such a great actor and such a generous actor, and Jerry knew that he was really sort of an actor in training, it became very clear that to surround Jerry with great actors that would help lift him up was only going to help the show. And that's how Jason got the part. Incredible. The rest of the and, then said, and then you said Kramer was oh, down too. Yeah. So this is interesting because when you test at the network, you don't know what's going to happen. You're bringing your favorites, but you know, the dark horse can win. And um, uh, at the time, I think NBC was in, had a press tour at like the Century Plaza Hotel. And the only way we could test was to bring our actors to the Century Plaza to a conference room and then Warren Littlefield in between press sessions would come down and watch the auditions. So we had two actors, Michael Richards and another wonderful actor named Steve Vinovich um, audition. And Steve was really the actor as written. Um, you know, in the pilot, Kramer was this, you know, agoraphobic kind of shut-in who shuffled in and out of um, uh, Jerry's apartment in his bathrobe. And Steve played that to a T. Michael Richards literally like exploded into the room during the audition. And, um, and it, Warren Littlefield said, we can't not go with Michael Richards. How can you pass that up? You need to reimagine the character and sort of embrace what Michael brings you. And, and, uh, and they did. Wow. That, the, best, the best writers and the best showrunners, um, they look at the actor and what they bring to the role. And then that inspires them to write toward them. And that's what Jerry and Larry did in every occasion, whether it's Julia, Michael, Jason, Newman, you know, all the other wonderful players that we had in the show. That's a great story. I mean, yeah. Marrying, great yeah, writing. Incredible. Great acting. It's unbelievable. But it's funny, Littlefield, I mean, president of NBC, and you mentioned Seinfeld was just a little pilot, right? I mean, they must do 50 pilots a year or something yeah. like that back then, you know? So... It's interesting. Littlefield's got every one, and he he made a, a stake that that Richards should get Kramer. Yeah. So he I, obviously I mean, he obviously saw something in the show, which is special. Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, he wouldn't let Rick Ludwin, who's had a late night, use his late night budget to make a show, a little show, if he <laughs> wasn't kind of investing it. But the stakes were low. It's not like you had a big star at the center of the show. I mean, Jerry was a well known comedian, but he wasn't like you know, a huge, um, he didn't, he didn't fill a stadium. Right. Not at that time. You know? 
right. yeah. and, and and now he does. And you know, quite frankly, a lot of credit should be given to the show to Larry and Jerry. But Mark, I got to tell you that the people you place in the show are remarkable. Um, from we mentioned it from like Sid Farkas to David Putty to Jean Paul Jean. I mean, we can go on and on. I mean, it's just it's an honor to talk to you, and we, we thank you so, so much for the time. Thank you, Mark. My pleasure. It's really nice talking to you. I appreciate your uh, keeping the show alive. You know, <laughs> it's so much fun to to know that the uh, the show you know has transcended generations and uh, people still love it. Well, we're doing um, you know, there's going to be a Married with Children special on Fox, and they're doing oh, nice. a documentary about it. Oh wow! Taking Married with Children, and I uh, I was just interviewed for it um, a few months ago. So they're you know, in the middle of putting that together. So that's another show that I worked on, which is so nice to see that has sort of transcended. Yeah. Time. I mean, that show, that show is revolutionary as well. And we're going to look at for that, uh, that, that special you're talking about as well. That's awesome. Oh, thanks. thanks so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, every single guest star we've talked to Mark has mentioned, you know, how great you are and just, you know, we had to talk to you. So we really appreciate your time. <laughs> All right, guys. Nice to Thank talk you, to you. Thank you. So take much. care of yourself. All right. Bye. bye. It's hard to keep track of everybody. I, I mean, yeah, that. your Rolodex is probably uh, overflowing. In fact, at the beginning of the podcast, I actually seriously want to do a disclaimer to apologize to all the actors whose names I will have forgotten over the past 30 years. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's just too much, you know, and uh, and their origin stories. But I'll do the best I can. I, you you guys know so much about the show that you're going to stump me. And so if there's any way that you can say, oh, what about so-and-so who played the role of such-and-such such in this episode? That would really help jog memory. <laughs>